I'm a recovering perfectionist and I have a very methodical mind and I've over the years had to decouple the rigidity that naturally is sort of my predisposition. I've had to let go. I've had to care less. Um, I've had to cultivate a calm mind. A calm mind is incredibly powerful. Let's just say there's a lot of things in social media right now about staying hard and having grit and being the oak tree in the storm. Well, you know what? <laughs> a calm mind is way more powerful. A calm mind is adaptive. It's resilient. It can incorporate the reality of what's going on versus a fixed perspective that you're fighting against, which is a lot of wasted energy. So like if I had to say anything, a calm mind is fantastic for athletic performance. Welcome to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are Jess and BJ, and we're on a mission to create a better world. It's the world that begins within each of us. And in our experience, a cornerstone of this better world begins when we commit to training our minds. Today, we are grateful to have Sun Sachs on the show. Sun is the CEO and co-founder of Rewire Fitness, a neuroperformance platform for athletes that takes a holistic approach to mental fitness. And I think what I love about it the most, and perhaps even like a cornerstone of why Yogi Triathlete even exists is this like, okay, you have the data, now what do you do with it? Um, And there's so many things out there that just give us a score and no tools to work with that score or even our response to that score. So we're going to get into that. We're psyched about it. Uh, And in doing my due diligence leading into this conversation, I surmise that Rewire is a purposeful step that aligns with Sun's purpose and passion. He is also a longtime endurance athlete, meditator, and animal advocate. He is the co-creator of TheBeat.com, which later merged with Forks Over Knives to create upbeat brands. He's a plant-based culinary chef and a former instructor from Matthew Kenny Cuisine. There's so much to dive into, and we're so looking forward to seeing where this next hour takes us. So, Sun, welcome to the show. Awesome. So glad to be here, Jess and BJ. This is going to be really fun. Yeah, I think so. Um, you want to start, Beach? Get us into the combo? Yeah. Uh, so where do we start? So um, maybe we just start with your, your background, um, you know, who you are and, and, and how you got to this point in, in life. Yeah, happy to. Um, so yeah, if we go back to the origin, uh, I grew up in uh, Boulder, Colorado, and uh very at an early age got involved in bike racing uh this is to date myself the early 80s so uh at the time mountain biking was just being invented as a sport i went into road racing as a junior um quickly fell in love with mountain biking um worked my way up to elite level was all in 100 percent um that's all i wanted to do and be that was my identity Um, and you know, I did start to get the success that I was looking for. Um, however, uh, at 26, I, uh, basically completely burnt out physically and mentally and retired from the sport. Um, and unfortunately I was so burnt out that, uh, I didn't even look at a bike for more than eight years. So (laughs) it, it, it was, uh, pretty severe. Uh, and you know, trying to unpack that, I think it's a, the typical things that lead to burnout, you know, if you're a um, have a kind of a perfectionist mentality, that's one of the the key strengths and weaknesses. Um, another one would be, um, you know, if you have a kind of a single point of identity. You know, in my case, it was I'm a cyclist, I'm a bike racer, that's who I am. Um, and if you have a low self-esteem, you put a lot of pressure on yourself. Uh, you have a fixed mindset where you're really seeing every success and failure as defining you. All of those factors. Uh, plus, I was training, you know, 40 to 50 hours a week. So, you know, that also isn't great. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I retired from my sport, um, unfortunately, early. And uh, it took me years to come back. But well, pause there. Cause what was... got you into um, endurance sports? Yeah, so um, empowerment, basically. 
Uh, I was, you know, my name is Sun for a reason. Uh, I was born to hippie parents in Canada on a sunny day. Um, so there's a lot to the to that part of the story, but um, essentially, for whatever reason, maybe I was a unique unique kid, um, sort of a magnet for uh, for jerks. But I got bullied a lot. I got bullied. Um, you know, my first bullying was when I was six, and I got a broken collarbone and other bones broken and physical and mental abuse. And um, at some point it flipped and, um, you know, I found sport as a way to feel, uh, feel empowered, to feel in control, uh, to um, see progress, you know, put hard work in as a hard worker, put hard work in and see a, a positive outcome. So for me, the, um, sport was really, um, like it saved me. Uh, of course, you know, the, those, those sort of things that can save you can also, you know, turn into uh, a negative if you take them too far or, or interpret them in, in the wrong way. So it's, it's interesting, you know, still to this day, sport is a sort of therapy for me. Like um, if I'm not, if I'm out there training or, or doing something uh, out in nature, um, you know, uh, things start to sort of get ungrounded for me. So I, I absolutely still, it's my 40th anniversary as a cyclist. I'm still doing it and I'm, you know, probably having my second wind and in some of the best shape I've ever been in, in my life. And, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful thing, but, um, that's how I found sport. I think a lot of athletes that listen to this can, you know, can relate to that. Um, you know, those who, you know, had challenges in their childhood, which I think we all have, right? Relatively speaking, uh, we could label those more severe than others, but I think that trauma or challenge is, is relative to the receiver of that. And that we've all found power through endurance sports, through seeing what is possible. I say that when I first started triathlon that I used to swim with fists because it allowed me to, you know, punch <laughs> who I needed to punch. Like it was like fair game, you know, and, and I admit this because mm -hmm. um, maybe somebody else has felt this way too. Like for me, it was a way to get anger out. Um, but what I realized over time too is like you can't outrun what you're here to to learn and endurance sports mm -hmm. will really pull that veil up and and show you who you are under duress. Um, it will show you the the power, but also you know where your where your weaknesses are. Um, and then, like if we go too far, we will move into that burnout. But I'm curious to know either positive or negative. Again, however we want to label them. What were some of the things that you learned through, um, through endurance sports in those early years where probably you're stepping into this empowerment that you hadn't experienced before. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the best invention ever made is the bike. You know, you're, you're basically flying, flying over the ground, uh, in a circular motion. Like it's an incredible thing. It's exhilarating mountain biking. It's like you're, uh, you're a deer in the forest, you know, like it's an incredible thing. Um, so just that sense of freedom, that sense of locomotion, that, uh, the feeling that your body is just really primed and capable, uh, and getting out there and having adventures and, uh, seeing the progress, something you can control to a degree. Um, that also, you know, was, was pretty cool. Um, and I had a natural ability for, you know, I was, uh, combination of hard work and um, some ability, but it's certainly by no means like ultra, ultra talented, but um, I cut my teeth on that. I also was a bike messenger for seven years in the streets of Seattle. Um, some of the most fun I've ever had on the bike. <laughs> Incredible. Uh, playing with traffic all day long and sprinting and running up flights of stairs and uh, a, a crazy, really cool community. Like that was an amazing experience as well. That must have gotten the uh, adrenaline kicking and almost, I would see it as almost a point where you actually crave like getting us, getting to the delivery as fast as you can, as quickly as you can with 
without any stuff happening along the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, basically, I learned how to unlock flow state and I was in flow state all the time. Because, you know, one one of the one of the flow triggers which I don't know if it's common knowledge or not, but I would say it's risky a risky flow trigger is if you're propelling yourself through space and there's a lot of different objects that are potentially um, dangerous, your fight or flight kicks in, but there's no way to process it consciously. Like you actually have to be aware of everything at once. I'll give you an example. Like I remember one time going, it's like San Francisco, so you're going down really steep hills, going down this hill, getting air over the hill. So it's kind of a blind jump because you can't see what's on the other side. And as I'm cresting over the hill, there's a car like breaking right in front of me. So the second I hit the ground, I have to skid sideways, get around that car, split lane through another uh, set of traffic. And there's no way to go like, okay, what do I do? I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do that. You actually have to just be aware of everything in your surroundings at once. And it kicks you right into flow. Um, and I love that. It was, you know, I could just get on my bike and feel flow almost immediately, which was amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you I, learn a lot and you feel very connected to the bike, you know. So flow, I love that you, you mentioned that. I've, I've ex- well, first of all, what, what, would, what would be your definition to our audience of what flow is? Is it, well, what, it, what is it? What do you perceive it as? No thought? Smoothness? Calm? Yeah. I think, well, scientifically or neurologically, you're actually using less of your brain, not more. But what, what, I, what I perceive it as is just a, um, like a oneness state or a connected state where um, your, your ego is not in the way and your uh, perception is wide open. Uh, and you ha- and time seem there seems to be some kind of time shift where things slow down significantly. It's just like those movies where you see the action figure jump up in the air and then there's a slow motion kick. It's exactly like that. You're like, or the bullet shooting slow motion at your face. Like you're just like, okay, I'm gonna do this, then I'm gonna do this, then I'm gonna do this, then I'm gonna do this, and it's like one second. <laughs> um, so it's it's really a phenomenal state because it's. Um, you're just taking in so much information without judgment and in a, in a very calm, ready kind of perspective. It's powerful. Like it feels like you can do anything, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I've had, I used, I used to play a lot of basketball and I remember, I remember one particular game and going up and down and I don't recall a lot of it, but I do recall that being a flow moment for me where I didn't have much what you're, what you're exactly what you're describing. Like I didn't have overthinking syndrome. It was more like I wasn't thinking about anything. It was just, it was merging with the oneness of whatever was happening in a complicated, what can be a complicated game running up and forth. There's a basketball, there's people, there's, you know, movements and, and being in that state absolutely brought me someone who wasn't, who didn't grow up being very confident, it brought me confidence. It brought me like trust. Um, and it brought me this sense of exactly that, like I can do anything I want. And then you see the trajectory where it takes you and you take that into whatever next sport you go into. I, it sounds like you've st- stuck with cycling, but I sort of moved over to triathlon and can feel moments of, or always craving those moments again, like being in that, oneness. So a lot of times I feel like I just got to get out of my own way. Do you feel that? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The, um, there's things you can do to kind of prime yourself, uh, that aren't, that aren't dangerous, like throwing yourself in traffic, which I don't recommend. You have to have skills to back that up. Otherwise you're in trouble. But, um, you know, just being in a, in a calm, you know, we like to say with rewire, like a calm, ready state, you know, you're basically um, uh, grounded, you, you, you reduce your anxiety, you can use breathing techniques and all kinds of things to kind of get you there. But if you if you start in your sport in that 
sort of calm state. Uh, and, and I would even say maybe caring a little less for those, for those perfectionists out there. We care too much. That actually gets us into trouble. If you care a little less, just enjoy, enjoy the experience. You go in with a calm mind. Uh, you're setting yourself up for an opportunity to have a full estate. Yeah. I mean, calm is, I think it's a, it's a prerequisite. I think calm is like um, an entry point into that excellence, uh, which, which is where we see the greatest athletic performances. You know, we see, we see these flow states. Um, you know, I think Michael Jordan is a great example of somebody uh, just to study in that way, watching how uh, he just, you know, would move around the court. And um, I think he's a great example of that. And, um, and this is so good because this is all kind of setting us up to really talk about this amazing tool. But there's there's other pieces here too. Um, the calm mind is something we talk about a lot. Um, you know, our teacher, our meditation teacher, has taught us that when we are calm, we are invincible. You know, because that calm energy is that that energy that has created worlds, right? And that's in us. Like that's moving our blood, and it's it's allowing for the you know neurotransmitters in our in our brains uh, to you know everything to work and and just this miracle that is the body and we know you know from science and I know you know this too this quality of neuroplasticity with the brain that um, we can change the brain you know there's there's so much science around this that we have this opportunity and there's all different levels of willingness and readiness, right, for how we're going to train the brain. Um, you know, for a long time, uh, I resisted meditation for a long time. That's my primary way of, of how I train the mind and what I teach. But I know that you have experience with meditation as well, and I would love to hear that story, how you, um, how you came into it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, af after I retired uh, from cycling, basically gave up trying to be a pro, uh, but it, uh, and walked away from riding my bike. Um, I went into software and product development, but I still kept really looking at like trying to unpack what went wrong and trying to understand how I could be better. Um, so, you know, one of the one of the steps uh, was reading the book, um, Autobiography of a Yogi, and um, being just enthralled by Paramahansa Yogananda's teachings, uh, so much so that I joined the fellowship, um, went on a, a multi-year path, meditating three to four hours a day, uh, you know, really following the tradition, and, um, uh, you know, signed a lifelong oath to never reveal the secrets. I got to a certain level where I where they shared a lot of those details. Um, and it's a beautiful practice and, uh, and a really wonderful organization. Um, and that, you know, that taught me a lot. Um, you know, just, just being able to understand, um, you know, being able to look at myself and look at my thoughts, observe, observe the thoughts. Um, there's a lot of uh, kind of, body and breath work in the practice that, that also really helped. Um, and then the other side of it is the three to four hours a day didn't really fit with my lifestyle. So at some point I had to go like, you know, the thing that really helped me is like one of the monks said, like, you have to have your own personal relationship with God. And I was like, this, I love this practice, but this, this type of, um, ascetic even though my mind is sort of like i i like i like the ascetic approach whether it's lifestyle athlete or whatever um it just wouldn't didn't work um so what i did is i i trimmed it down to about a 15 minute practice in the morning and the evening uh and um and also just sort of took that away as a as a very important tool to athletic performance uh, and that that definitely informed, though we don't use any of the teachings, uh, that informed uh, an aspect of the product that that, that we have today. Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely, right. And and spending all that time in silence and stillness and learning about yourself, like, I mean, we'll never be able to measure 
how that heavily influenced your track to where you are today and and um, being able to unearth the curiosity really to be able to continue to um, to advance this application that you've that you've brought to the masses, which is, I think, is a gift for so many, because as we know, you know, as the yogis teach, um, and we are also uh, on a very similar path um, with the Kriya Yoga, which uh, Paramahansa Yogananda talks about in, um, in Autobiography of a Yogi. It's definitely one of my favorite books because it's the only autobiography that we have from an enlightened being, you know, that walked yeah. this earth. It's, it's pretty, it's packed with wisdom. Um, <laughs> It seems to me with the endurance athletics and, you know, how, how deep you went into that and even the extreme of, um, you know, the flow state discovery with being a bicycle messenger and all of that, that it doesn't surprise me that you went all in with this practice. But I think the really wise piece was that you realized like this misalignment, almost like my soul's not ready for this level of, um, I guess the word I could say was like devotion, right? To come, like you weren't ready to give up um, the worldly ways to you know, be, be spending most of your day in meditation. And I think that there's so much wisdom in there because you have work to do in the world. You had gifts to share in the world. You had things to produce, to use the technology of the world to, um, to bring this application to light. And I just think that that's amazing. And of course, I'm not surprised that they were like, you have to have your own relationship, um, to that. And so, to give people permission to say like, yeah, it's not like I meditate 45 minutes in the morning and then, you know, I, I'm recommitted now to that second meditation, which is not as long, but that it doesn't have to be 45 minutes in the morning. Like it's okay if you don't want to get up at Mm -hmm. four o'clock in the morning. And I certainly didn't start with 45 minutes. I started with 10 minutes of meditation. And so what is your practice like? What does it look like now? Because I'm assuming you're also incorporating rewire with it. Maybe this is the time where we start to talk about the application because I'm sure people are like, when are you going to get to that? We want to know. We want to go and know the fun stuff, the data <laughs> and the science. So let's give them what they want. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, my morning, uh, sort of my morning experience, I, uh, I wake up. Um, I actually use rewire as a uh, the initial part of the morning practice, because what it does is, um, it assesses you physically, emotionally, and cognitively in 90 seconds. So, um, the way that works is you open up the app. If you have wearable data, sleep data, you know, Garmin, Aura, Strava, etc. we'll bring that all in. Um, but we're not just the sum of our heart rate and sleep data. Sorry, folks. <laughs> What about our minds? What about our emotions? Those those two things, those two domains have a major impact in performance and they're often blind spots. So what we do is we assess the person cognitively using what's called a psychomotor vigilance test. Um, you tap the screen every time you see a shape and we're tracking your reaction time and other data behind it. Then we have an emotional questionnaire where we understand your level of frustration, level of stress, readiness to perform, that kind of stuff. And then we we reflect that back to you. So, you know, obviously most serious athletes, they're going to know where they're at physically. Um, but how would you ever know where you're at cognitively? How would you know that the stress from work the day before it's actually going to negatively impact your performance, even though your HRV is amazing today. And then you get out there and you're like, what happened? Or how are you even going to know if that bad night's sleep is actually going to affect your emotionality? You're going to have a short fuse. You're not going to be able to you know, tolerate the pain that you're going to have to endure in your interval session. So like, we reflect that back so you can you know, similar to what you might do in, in, a, in a meditation, you can see where you're at. Then based on that, we recommend an intervention, which we call a recipe. And that is a combination of different evidence-based approaches, which include a breathing modality, like you might do uh, box breathing or, or uh, 
pranayama, alternative nasal breathing. Get your body into a homeostasis. We're going to bring in self-talk that you can program. So we're going to have some, uh, you know, short phrases that are triggers to have the have a positive, healthy mindset. We're going to do visualization. Um, we're going to bring in binaural beats, which create basically a brain entrainment. So you're going to get your brain into a calm state or a focused state, depending on what your needs are. And we subliminally prime you with positive imagery while you're looking at the screen. So that lasts two to four minutes. So if you wake up in the morning, you do your 90-second assessment, then either in the morning or throughout the day, you do your two to four-minute session. What I do is I do that um, readiness assessment, then I do my meditation, uh, then I walk the dogs, always religiously, seven times a day, or seven times a week, I should say. Uh, and then um, then I'll ideally train. Oftentimes I have to work because uh, I prioritize sleep so I don't get up super early anymore. Uh, and then partway through the day, I'll definitely do a rewire session, maybe one or two. Uh, and then uh, at the end of the day, I do a gratitude practice just really reflecting on how the day went and how I appreciate uh, every every gift that was given to me. Uh, and that's done outside. So if, if I look at that, I love the combination of the rewire and the meditation, but I would think that I was just having a conversation with an athlete I work with today about this impulse control, right? They've got their phone now in their hand, which they do if they're setting a meditation app, but the activation of the mind. Sure. Um, so if somebody's just starting out and they're like, okay, wait, this could be a great complement to my meditation practice um, that I'm starting, you know, five minutes or whatever. If they're just starting out, do you, would it sometimes be beneficial maybe to do the meditation first, get them into some sort of calm state before they see their scores. You know, sometimes with the scores, yeah. people, it can really rattle them. And mm -hmm. then I'm thinking like, then they're going into a meditation, mm -hmm. which again, I'm, I'm not, um, I'm very clear that not everybody wants to meditate. It's about 1%. Um, but with 7 billion people on this planet, <laughs> that's a lot of people that want to meditate. Um, yeah. I would think that the yeah. mind activation, yeah. um, you know, it, it could maybe benefit them to also maybe do a little meditation before that. Yeah, you're, you're asking a really good question. I have a specific reason why I do it that way. But, um, you know, and, you know, I, I'm a very methodical person. So the only thing I allow myself to look at is rewire. I don't then go and go social media and email. I don't do anything for the first half hour, 45 minutes. But the reason I do it is because... Um, and the way you should use rewires in a consistent manner. So if you want to meditate first, perfect. Make sure that you're always doing rewire after your meditation. The reason I don't do it is because meditation improves my state so much that I don't. It's going to not necessarily uh, accurate ref, accurately re reflect my morning state right when I wake up. Like I want to have data that's hard data on exactly where I'm at before I do anything that will influence it positively or negatively. So that's why I do it. You can absolutely do it. If you do meditate, you could do it after you meditate. You just want to do it in a consistent way. That's sort of the key to the measurement. Because if you, if, you know, one morning you wake up and you drink a cup of coffee or you pull up your phone, and you get super stressed out. Well, of course you're going to be more emotional or you're going to have cognitive fatigue or whatever it is. So you definitely want to do it before you're kind of up and running ideally. Well, isn't consistency everything? <laughs> if we really get, <laughs> yeah. like, let's just be consistent. Let's yeah. we're so overly entertained and wanting to do like the next best thing to stay consistent with something long enough. So you can, um, give yourself a shot with, with, um, with things. So if I'm, if I'm understanding this correctly, because this is where I think a deviation happens. So, you know, you wake up, you see your score, you meditate, and then the, it will give you things, the breathing exercises, the, the, um, the images, the things that will pull you back into potentially 
a calmer, more aware state. So then you can still pursue the workout that you were supposed to do, not necessarily take the score and be like, oh, today, not doing anything. The score said, you know, seven, that means I can't do anything. Yeah. Is that accurate? Yeah. Thank, thank, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, part of the f- reason we built the readiness assessment is because of frustration. Like I've, uh, we didn't go into my whole quantified self thing, but I used to, I, uh, I used every device, tested it methodically and anything that comes to readiness, you know, one, they're not including the phys- the beyond the physical, but then two, oftentimes it's just binary, you know, like your score is X, so don't do anything today. It's like, okay, that is not helpful in any, in any way. What we say is let's reflect back how you are. And then let's give you the tools to do something about it based on your goals. So let's just say I had a bad night's sleep. As a result, I have a higher level of cognitive fatigue and I'm a little more emotional. Well, I'm going to click the prepare for my day button. And then it's going to say, son, what do you want to do? Are you trying to recover? Are you trying to have good athletic performance? Are you trying to be productive? Then it takes your goal plus your state and creates a recipe for you to help really make the best of what you're trying to achieve. Because the reality is, you know, we all have challenging, demanding days. And just because your score is X doesn't mean you just get to take a pass. Like that's just not even realistic or helpful. And in fact, probably just stresses people out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, That's what I was getting at. I think most most athletes would be like, what do you mean? I can't, what do you mean? I can't do my workout today. Well, I think we've, I think we've heard that, you know, I think we've heard that like, well, I feel great today and it's giving me a score of blah, blah, blah. Um, and so I love that you're taking it one step further, but I think the most important thing that you're giving them is you're giving them experience because we can talk all day about yoga and the science of the mind and, you know, positive talk and the benefits and the evidence and all of that. But change doesn't happen in the intellect. Like it happens through experience. So you're putting them into an experience that's going to mm-hmm. help them walk into their day uh, in in a ready state to train, or perhaps a ready state to have that conversation that had them up all night. That it's giving them an experience. And I would think that with consistency, which is like such an important word, right? Consistency, calm. These are very important words to be embodied uh, through experience that there will be long-term effects in the brain. And I know that the, the product hasn't been on the market long enough to have like long-term study, but I think with consistency and putting them in experience, there's, there's no way that the brain can't, won't be repatterned. Yeah, repatterned and also cared for. Oh, like, yeah. You know, yeah, we were, we were, we're like, let's get our ice bath. Let's, I have about five. No, that's, I'm not, I probably have 10 different recovery tools here to the right of me. Right. I'm so worried about my, my poor body recovering. What about my mind? Like I'm putting, when does your mind get a break? When does your mind get a recovery experience? Pretty much never, you know, watching TV is not a recover, not recovery. Um, so you know, if you can if you can manage that cognitive fatigue, so you don't have this chronic state of cognitive fatigue, your brain is going to function better. You'll get the most out of it. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, yes, by doing, we have two aspects. One is the recovery aspect, and then the other aspect is neurotraining. So we're actually tapping into the specific part of the brain that's responsible for goal-driven behavior and your perception of effort. And it's modeled exactly out of the science from the lab that the the study came out in 2008. Um, My kind of founder story is there was this combination of the quantified self, all the stuff I was looking at in terms of the devices, the meditation. And the last piece of the puzzle for me was this science that came out in 2008 that I was so excited about because it was like, wow, you can do brain training. It's going to improve your athletic performance. And I was like, this is incredible. When is it going to come to market? And I kept waiting and I kept waiting. It was years. And there were a few attempts that never came. And one day I was on the bike trainer and I was like, oh, I know how it could be done. 
made a prototype. We had it testing in a few weeks. Uh, and it's all around this way, like you would physical load. We all know what that is. You can add cognitive load to the specific part of the brain um, that is going to perceive the effort. We always, you know, everybody by now knows RPE, but that is a specific part of the brain, the anterior cingulate cortex near prefrontal. Um, and what that does is it's basically regulating your perception based on the brain's level of fatigue. So if you overload your brain, if you're tired all the time or you push yourself physically and as a result, or you have a bad night's sleep, whatever it is, it's the factor that's impacting your cognitive fatigue. You're actually going to perceive the effort to be more difficult. And that's what they proved in 2009. And that's what I was so excited about. And when we built the product, we worked with the same scientists to cross-validate that our product was at least as efficacious as what was done in the lab. So it's super exciting. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a way to actually train your brain and build more resilience and basically reach your potential without having your brain sort of hold you back because it's it's tired and misperceiving the effort. Mm. Yeah. Wow. What do you think is the um like the greatest quality for an athlete to really cultivate, whether that be calmness or mental acuity or what do, what do you think is the thing that they can really pull away from mind training that will really be the seed for their potential? Yeah, it's funny because, you know, everybody's different, obviously. So it kind of depends on where, where their head's at, you know, in terms of um, their strengths and weaknesses. So uh, like I can speak for myself, you know, I have... I'm a recovering perfectionist and I have a very methodical mind and I've over the years had to decouple the rigidity that naturally is sort of my predisposition. I've had to let go. I've had to care less. Um, I've had to cultivate a calm mind. Um, a calm mind is incredibly powerful. Let's just say um, there's a lot of things in social media right now about staying hard and, you know, having grit and just like sort of, you know, being the oak tree in the storm. Well, you know what? <laughs> a calm mind is way more powerful. A calm mind is adaptive. It's resilient. You know, it, it can, can incorporate the reality of what's going on versus a fixed perspective that you're fighting against, which is a lot of wasted energy. So like if I had to say anything, a calm mind is fantastic for athletic performance. Ugh. That's what you want. Brilliantly described. Brilliant. So when you have the tendency to be rigid in your thought, because I'm sure there are still remnants of it still around, um, sticking around and showing up, how do you pull yourself back into calm? Is there something... I mean, maybe we already talked about it, but how, how, how do you do it? Like, how do you beam yourself into like, well, that, that's the old me. There's got to be another effortless way to, to move forward here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, for me, it's about sort of controlling my environment. And so I have to relinquish control like that's, um, and also I have to be willing to fail you know, the whole, the whole fixed growth mindset thing. Like I, I need to see a failure as actually just an opportunity to learn something's ex that's exciting that I can be curious about as opposed to a judgment about my ability. And so I look for excuses to publicly say, Oh, I made a mistake. That's healthy for me. Uh, you know, I, um, I, when I'm, you know, I need to get my workouts in every day. But if if I can only do a strength training session for 20 minutes and then I have to wait till the end of the day and do a bike session, fine. I have to I have to be okay with that because the old me would have been like, I need a two hour workout. If I don't have a two hour block, I'm just gonna skip it. <laughs> and you know, back to the consistency thing, it is incredibly powerful to see progress if you can be consistent, even if it's not 
even if in the way you're approaching it is not perfectly consistent. Like consistency has, you know, many different definitions. If I, I can work, I will work out every day, but it may not be in my perfect ideal situation or for the perfect ideal amount of time. Um, but because of that, I can maintain a very high level of health and fitness because I'm willing to be adaptable to the circumstance. We just can't control. There's so little, you know, you have power, as Marcus Aurelius would say, you have power over your mind, not outside events. Realize this and you will find strength. Mm. Uh, I think a lot of, you know, athletes can relate to this more rigid mindset, right? And, and there's, a, there's a drive that we need to have to achieve our goals. But I think when we find ourselves being attached with how that needs to happen or the timeline, um, in if they haven't yet, they will soon experience the suffering that goes along <laughs> with that. And so for me personally, it was like, it sounds like such a, a, a blah word, but like relax, like relax, relaxing into that intensity of like, oh my God, it's not going this way and it needs to go this way to a point where you can feel panicked about it or angry about it. And for me, just that, mm -hmm. that uh, um, willingness, really, it started with a willingness and a readiness to just relax, relax, like and soften. Um, I don't think that we mm -hmm. need a whole lot more practice enduring. I believe most of society is <laughs> out there enduring every day. I don't think we need a whole lot of more experienced thinking. It's, you know, it's the more experience, it's the box breath, it's those things that you mentioned, it's getting yourself into experience out of the intellect into something that can actually, you know, change the way that we move through the world that will have a better effect on the on the world itself, of course, but also our well-being, our longevity in sport, um, and our happiness factor. But um, yeah, the relaxing, you know, which is like the last thing you want to hear when you're holding on to life with white knuckles, right? Is like, <laughs> oh, just relax. It's not that easy to just relax. Like it's, mm. it's a process and a practice and I'm still doing it every day. Um, but you, just the way that you speak, um, the energy that I get from you, it's like, you're definitely the product of a repatterned mind, uh, brain, you know, and, and I'm sure you would also agree that we're all a work in progress. Um, but I, I want to touch upon the plant-based uh, part of your life. And I, and I would love to hear, because I, I feel a compassion about you, not just for our fellow athletes and, and mankind, but I'm assuming that is spreading across you know, the globe to all all of our earth's beings is that when did your plant-based journey begin? So there definitely is an intersection in both stories. Um, so I, uh, became very aware. This is a long time ago in the late eighties, became very aware of the mistreatment of animals, agri animal agriculture in, uh, in science and animal testing. And when I was 16, I turned vegan, cold turkey, uh, you know, no animal products. Um, and back then it wasn't understood that it was healthy uh, at all. Like it, it was not established that it was healthy. And so I wasn't doing it for health. I was doing it for the animals. That's point blank. Uh, you know, I was very into activism. And, um, and I stayed the course. Unfortunately, there also wasn't a lot of great data about nutrition and how to do that, uh, you know, how to be a, a high-performance athlete as a vegan. Um, pretty unheard of and rare back then. So I made some mistakes. Um, and over about a seven-year period, I was basically, um, what I found out later is I was not eating enough calories. Um, so I was burning about 10,000 calories a day. You know, training at least eight hours, which is crazy. And then, <laughs> and then I was eating probably like twenty five hundred calories, something like that. So um, right now I'm like very height weight proportional. Like you know, I'm six two. 
180 pounds, um, maybe a little heavier as an endurance athlete than I'd like to be, but I'm also older. Um, I was 135. And uh, when I went to get uh, my body fat tested, the doctor was like, there's something wrong with the machine. I keep testing and it keeps saying zero. I don't know what's wrong with this machine. <laughs> now, at the time, those machines weren't as accurate. They had a variation of about 2%. So best case, I had 2% body fat. Uh, I was sick all the time. Um, uh, I would go to a race and I'd be like, you know, four hours, like, you know, curled in a ball in pain, basically because my body was eating itself uh, for fuel. Um, and what happened is I got to a breaking point where I literally thought I was going to die. Um, I actually got, um, I triggered a very rare genetic disease, which I still live with today. Um, and uh, because of the lack, you know, poor nutrition and poor calories. And um, sadly, I then went back to eating meat because I didn't know what else to do. But I was so rigid and so determined that I was willing to put my life at risk, literally put my life at risk to not break my ideals. And so it was extremely hard to go back to eating meat. I was ashamed. I would hide the meat in the basket. For years I did this. Like that's how badly I felt about it. Then fast forward around 2012 or 2011. Is that right? Yeah, it's been 10 years. Uh, I read Rich Roll's book. And I was like, wait a second, you can be healthy and an athlete and high performing as plant based? Wait a second, <laughs> I'm going to try this again. <laughs> this time I approached it gradually, didn't want to take a rigid approach. Uh, and I just did one meal a day. Then I did two meals a day. About seven months in, I was like, this is awesome. I'm just going to go all in. Um, and I've uh, been vegan ever since again. So, yeah, it's. It's how you approach it. You know, I, I recognize the mistakes I made, and uh, it was all about sort of the mindset and also just the lack of knowledge. So, of course, this time I went all in, like I always do, trying to learn everything about plant-based eating, etc. So, I'm going to pause there, but yeah, that's kind of the backstory. What's the What's the biggest benefit you've experienced as a plant-based athlete? What's one thing that you that you uh, can't live without? I mean, yeah. All the extra, all the extra energy I have. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I'm more active physically than I've ever been. I I do ice climbing in the winter. I do you know alpine mountaineering. I do bike packing. I do um, still compete in bike racing. I have done some adventure triathlons. Uh, I get out, you know, motivated and high energy every day. I remember how I felt in that chunk of time when I went back to eating meat. Very, um, very sluggish. Uh, I was on this like vicious cycle of eating meat, then eating a bunch of like sweet drinks to kind of like pump myself back up in this roller coaster of energy. And uh, at that time, I was like, um, 30 pounds heavier than I am now is <laughs> the opposite. Um, sluggish, not athletic, not like poor energy. Now I'm just like ready to go. I, you know, I enjoy being in races and competing against 20 year olds and beating them. I enjoy that. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, some superpowers there between training your mind and eating a diet that is aligned with you, right? Aligned with your values. Because I mean, I'd, I'd argue, I don't love that word, but like, I'd argue that the guilt and the shame was also poisoning the food that you were ingesting. Yeah. yeah I mean, when you, when you kind of learn what's going on behind the scenes, like, and this is actually a really cool insight. I mean, cool insight maybe is the wrong phrasing, but, um, um, Yukteswar, uh, Paramahansa Yogananda's teacher, one of his, he actually wrote, I read this short book that he read on vegetarianism, and he pointed out, you know, as if you really go into it, you'll sort of see, like, what's the biology of a human? 
what other animals does it most closely align to? But one of the points he made, which I thought was incredible, you know, I have dogs and cats, which are omnivores and carnivores. When, a, when let's say, a cat or a dog sees a bloody carcass, they salivate. What does a human do? A human is repulsed. Mm. That's why they package the meat uh, away from the slaughterhouse. That's why nobody likes to see blood. Like, our natural instinct is not that we're like, hungry and salivating for this this uh, animal. We're like, that is horrible and disgusting, which is what other vegetarian animals do. Mm-hmm. So there's many, many, many sort of things you can look at biologically, um, but I just found that to be a, a really cool sort of obvious but non-obvious uh, fact. Yeah, I love Yukteswar. He's, um, you know, we we talk about Paramahansa Yogananda. He's probably more well known than his teacher Yukteswar, who is um, seems to me like you know an all in kind of guy, mildly inconvenienced that he even had to be on this <laughs> earth. Um, and uh, and um, but he's got some incredible, very uh, insightful writings that are available to us in this time, which is, which is just amazing. Uh, highly recommend anybody who's curious about that or has read Autobiography of a Yogi to go a little bit deeper with Yukteswar's uh, work as well. Um, and then uh, when you begin the rewire journey, where are you with the eating? Like you said, there was an intersection there. Oh yeah, I mean the I I was already back to uh, being a vegan uh, when we start. We founded Rewire in 2018, so it's uh, you know about four, almost approaching the fifth year. Um, And yeah, that was the 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 intersection was really just sort of that um, always searching for the right path, Uh, Mm -hmm. and you know, thankfully. Um, thankfully I found the right path and got a, got a take two as it related to being plant-based. Um, we don't have anything nutrition wise built into the app yet, though that is something that we plan on doing, uh, because that's obviously another component to performance. So right now we have physical, cognitive, and emotional, we have tools for resilience. We have tools for recovery, mind, body recovery. Nutrition will be in there at some point, um, so those those two things are fairly separate right now, but it's definitely a very important factor, without a doubt. So you finding your path, and um, you know, this show is about people looking, finding, and living their purpose. Um, you know, I found my path. I feel pretty confident about that. What would you say to someone um, who's who's really looking for that path, um, and or how? could rewire assist them in finding that path through the the mind training? Instinct is a powerful thing and you need to learn to listen to it. And oftentimes it's a quiet voice and very soft, at least for me. Um, But it's true. So just learning to be, to pay attention when you hear that little voice uh, and not judge it and um, and honor it because, you know, I was riding my bike trainer and um, I just had this thought, oh, I know how it could be done. It wasn't a practical choice. I had no idea how much work it was going to take. Um, it, it was incredibly difficult. And there were times I could have just been like, why, you know, why bother? Um, and, or this isn't a good time. This isn't the best time. Like just starting down the path, even if it's a tiny little step and paying attention to those little voices, the little, it's almost like a little, as it relates to your path, it's like a little voice of joy. You never know where it's going to take you. Like the best exercise is you just think about where you are today you think through all of the micro and macro things that had to happen for you to be here right now in this moment. You could never predict it. They seem unrelated. 
So taking that first step, you know, you're 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 adjusting your trajectory, and if you follow that joy, um, you never know where it could take you. Like it could take you down so many amazing paths uh, in those little serendipitous moments that happen. You know, so like I think it's just listening to that that quiet voice, following the joy, and and uh, allowing yourself to take that step without judgment. Yeah, I think you're you're the perfect example of that of um embracing failure, um embracing experience. Um just from your plant-based journey like going on it early on and then and then falling off of it but then coming back and the perfectionist would say like no, it's got to be I got to do it all. It's got to be my whole life from now has to be that, but you've shifted that you've changed that. Like you're, you're describing that scenario. And I know there's going to be people listening that say, no, that can't be me. You don't understand. Like I'm the perfectionist. I'm the one, but I think you're demonstrating that you, you can change. It takes, it takes time. But, but I think then the nugget I'm pulling on is like experience. Like it's okay to have experience after experience after experience to find what it is that brings you joy or, to, or the path that you want to be on, but don't get caught up in the details too much. They will sh- present themselves. They will flow in. We're smart. We're, we're smart humans. We will find a way. But the more experience we have, the more we're going to open up these doorways to possibilities. And I think this app is going to open up people's uh, ability to, to not have to be all or nothing, that we can work in the moment to shift and actually achieve what we wanted to achieve on any particular day. That's right. Yeah. We, I appreciate that. I mean, we have, um, we have sessions that are one minute long. So, you know, one of the coaches we're working with is just like, you know, I have these athletes, they're, they're uh, divers. You know, he teaches like Olympic level uh, swim divers, and he's like, "What can you give me in one minute to just get somebody in the right mindset when they're really frustrated?" Like, imagine how technical and complicated diving is. Mm-hmm. Like, it's all in your head. <laughs> what can we do in one minute? Well, there's a lot you can do. Words are incredibly powerful and we're social animals. And if you give someone the gift of positivity and you take them and take their mind out of where they're at right now and you bring them through a visualization, you come out the other side, you feel like a different person. Um, and we rarely give ourselves that. We're just like on, on all the time, no break, you know, not like unplug and plug back in. That's what we need to do. Sometimes we need to hit the reset button. And, and even if it's a minute, you'd be surprised how powerful it can be. Um, so we use all the tech, all the techniques to do that. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of times, like the unplugging, the plugging back in, people don't do it because they don't know what to do. So your your product will help them do that. And I think, you know, maybe the biggest thing it can help people do is not give up on their day. You know that you've got these these ways mm-hmm. to get them ready to step into really what they're heart has chosen, you know, what they committed to. Um, so son, thank you so much. You know, we can, we can have you on here and we can just talk about the app and we can, you know, like science is cool and awesome and we can do that, but I, but that's not really what we're interested in. We want to, we want to know the person behind it. We want to know the meaning behind it. Um, we really appreciate your vulnerability, your generosity of time, um, telling us your story, things that are important to you. It, it makes a big difference. Um, it gives it gives rewire, um, you know, a, a caring persona, and we appreciate that. So thank you, thank you for your time, thank you for helping helping, you know, Yogi triathlete, um, by coming onto the show, but also, you know, training the mind is absolute cornerstone of why we exist. And so thank you for offering and and developing a product because you listen to a hit that subtle voice, um, that's now available to people. So how can they get it? Like what's, what's the deal? Where do they find it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they can just go to uh, in the app stores, re- search for Rewire Fitness, or they can go to our website at rewirefitness.app instead of .com. It's .app, 
They can find us on Instagram, Rewire Fitness, and we have very cool communities on Strava and on Discord. If anyone wants to join, we're constantly chatting with our users and, and continually improving. So look forward to uh, seeing you guys there. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate the conversation. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, all right, have an awesome rest of your day. You too.